Well, I think that it's clear that um, Luke and what Jonathan just shared, and it's something that we've talked about on staff as well, is just we feel like one of our roles as a staff is to encourage you all to risk and take some chances. There are a few times in your life like this where you might be able to do some things that you've never done before and um, discover some things about yourself, about who God is, who your friends are. And uh, that's, that's one of the big reasons why we're here at the house is to, to provide that place and opportunities for you. So we encourage you to, to try and risk. So um, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk next Tuesday night after the house. And um, we usually have this little tradition here of having an after party. And um, we, we're going to continue that tonight. But next week, um, we are going to do um, No Women Allowed and Men and a Bunch of Pizza. And we're going to hang out in the hub after the house next week. So, all right. Ladies, you can do a salad night or whatever y'all do um, the next week. So, um, but we are going to just hang out next week after the hub. We'll remind you next week, but I wanted you to put it in your calendars and all that. So we're going to call it Men and Pizza. It's pretty creative. Uh, Men and Pizza next week. So, so I have a question for you. I know I just talked about doing things that you've never done before, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever said to yourself, maybe you said this before college, that I'm never going to do blank. Never going to do blank. And I can't even imagine people that do blank, whatever blank is. Or have you ever said to yourself, well, okay, (laughs) I did that, but I'm never going to do that again. Never going to do that again. I want you to think about that for a second. I think all of us have probably done that at one time or another in our lives. We say on the front end that, that something's not healthy for us, something's not good for us, and we can't even imagine doing something like that. And then we find ourselves in a situation where we're drawn to it or we can't help it, whatever it might be, and we find ourselves doing the exact thing that we said we would never do. This semester, we're doing this series called The Life in Between, and, and uh, we're talking about people in the scriptures that are just like you and me. I don't know if you have this, this experience when you read the Bible and you see these names, most of which are very strange to us, and, and you can start to think that they aren't really real people. And maybe they didn't experience life the way that you and I experience life. And part of our hope in doing this series actually is to talk about some of these obscure stories not just to have something different to talk about but to show us all that the bible is full of stories of people and they're full of stories of people who are trying to figure out who god is and they're trying to figure out what they will do and what they won't do and this whole series we are talking about this this idea of being in between where Many of these people in the Bible were given a promise. They were given a word from God. Somebody told them something was going to happen, and then they had to wait. They had to wait. 
And that life in between is what we often read about in these pages until they saw God fulfill what he said he was going to do. And if you remember when I talked the very first week, that's the position I think every single one of us is in today. Every single one of us, at some point, somebody told us something. Maybe God told us something. Maybe a pastor, a friend, a coach, a teacher, a parent said something. And you're waiting for that to be fulfilled. Maybe within your own heart, you know what you want to be, what you want to do. But you're here in college and you're taking art history and you want to be a business person. And you're going, what am I doing in this in-between stage where they're telling me to take this class when I don't see at all doing any of that? So we're talking this semester about this idea of living in between and what that looks like. And I want to encourage you that this story, which is a really strange one, is an example of somebody that said that they would never do something, but then they went and did it again. To catch you up, we're going to be looking at a person named Saul, King Saul, in the Old Testament. And to kind of give us a little sense of the backstory, this is the, the time in God's people's history, in Israel's history, where they have been freed from their Egyptian slave masters and they're, they're living in freedom. However, they're not really content with God being their leader. And so they ask for a king. They ask for a king and Saul is the very first king of Israel and Saul looks like the scriptures even say this looks like what you think a, a, a king should look like he was a good head taller than anybody else he was handsome he was strong he was a warrior and for a long time Saul did a lot of great things did a lot of great things for the people of God it was a time in Israel's history where they had a lot of enemies as well there were a lot of enemies that they were fighting against, and Saul had to be put into war again and again and again. And the passage we're going to look at tonight is actually towards the end of Saul's reign. And there was a man that was a prophet, somebody that had been given messages from God to tell Saul. And Samuel told Saul, your kingdom has been taken away from you. And Samuel actually is told by God to go anoint a guy that is probably more well-known than Saul, a little shepherd boy named David. And Samuel has already anointed David king. But Saul is still the king, trying to fight against the enemies. And Saul is facing one of the greatest armies of that time, the Philistines. And in this passage that we're going to look at, tonight Saul is looking out over a battlefield and he sees that it's going to be really hard to win it's going to be really difficult to win and he's afraid so if we're going to put up the scripture I'm going to kind of Zach and if we can kind of leave it up and as, as I go through it a little bit if you can kind of follow along with me because I think there's some interesting stuff in here this is a story about Saul and the witch of Endor I'm going to start in verse 3. Samuel, this prophet, was dead. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. 
Now, Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Anybody here watch that show, Medium? You can raise your hand. It's, I know it's a Christian environment, but it's still okay. Um, okay, so mediums, if you haven't watched the show, it's somebody that can communicate with the dead. Okay? What's interesting, this is in the Bible. We're not going to get into a lot of that, but there seems to be people that can do this. But Saul, because he was told by God that these people can manipulate others. These people start to dive into very evil things. So you need to expel them from the land. Okay? So Saul gets rid of all the witches, the mediums, the spiritists of the land. Um, where am I? There I am. Okay. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem while Saul gathered across all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa, just right across the way. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. By dreams, or Urim, I'll explain that in a sec, or the prophets. So on the front end, it looks like Saul does the right thing, right? He asked God what's going to happen. He asked God, he inquires, and, and all throughout Scripture, we actually see that God speaks to people in dreams. Then there's this thing called the Urim, and, and, uh, and the, the priests wore this uh, breastplate thing, and in it were these two things called the Urim and the Thummim. Okay? And people can't tell what those words literally mean, but they think it means light and darkness. And what they think it was is like dice that the priest would actually, when being asked to provide some wisdom or a decision or something like that, they'd roll this, this, these two things, and it would, it would be the way that they would, would make decisions. We actually see this in the New Testament, too. They didn't call it that, but they cast lots to make decisions about who the next disciple was going to be. It's interesting. I wouldn't recommend going to Vegas to make your decisions, but... It's interesting that in the Bible, these people had a kind of chance way of making these decisions. But Saul also inquired of the prophets, the people that God had anointed to speak messages, and still Saul didn't hear anything. So, going on with the story. So listen to what he does next. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Isn't that interesting? Saul doesn't get an answer from the ways that he first approaches. He's so afraid that he wants an answer and he wants it now. And the very thing that he kicked out of the land, the very thing that he said he would not do again, is the thing that he goes back to right away. And what's funny is, even though he kicked them all out. His attendants all know that there's one in Endor. So there is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and his men went to visit the woman and said to her, Consult a spirit for me and bring him up for me, the one I name. But the woman said to him, she's smart. She knows that there's a law in place. She says, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? 
Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? And Saul says, bring up Samuel, the prophet, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up. That's what prophets are, old men wearing robes. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself. That's to fall down flat. We sung a lyric with that. With his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, this is where, you ever stop and read this story? You're like, what? this is kind of interesting right here. <laughs> Saul is conversing with a dead spirit who's talking to him. Just thought I'd note that. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me, now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Just to summarize the rest of the story, Saul obviously is completely upset at this news. He won't eat. He is completely beside himself. The woman has to cook him something to eat to give him enough strength to finally get up, and he and his, his court, his attendants, finally go back. Now, why did I pick this story? It's interesting to me as I was reading through this that here's this guy that, on the one hand, obeyed on the front end. God told him that these kind of people that consult dead spirits and whatnot can deal in evil things. And so I want you to remove these people from the land. Just Saul does. But when push comes to shove, when the odds are against him, when he's afraid and he doesn't know what to do, he goes back to the thing that he was told not to do. So let me go back to that question I asked at the very beginning. How many of us have ever said, I'll never do that again? Never do that again. Only to find ourselves doing that same thing again. Now, I don't think any of us would be so struck with fear at the sight of an army. But how many of us are so struck with fear at being alone? So struck with fear at being accepted? That the things that we said that we would never do that we would never do again. Or this time, I really mean it, I'm not going to do it again. How many of us find ourselves doing that again? I remember a story. I went to this little college in California, 
And um, I was not a drinker because my dad's an alcoholic and I had only been a Christian about a year. That was not the religious reason why I didn't drink, but I was more afraid of alcohol. But, so I was the guy on my dorm floor that always took care of my friends because you got to have the one sober guy, right? And I remember this one guy, Dave, not me. <laughs> this isn't like a story about me and I'm just changing the names to protect me. <laughs> His name really was Dave. And um, he got together with a girl and um, the next day I remember him in kind of that drunken stupor of the next morning. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced it or nobody has talked to anybody like it, but this is what I had in my college. So, um, and he looked at me, he said, David, never, ever, ever let me do that again. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Dave did that a few more times in college. You know that, right? We all do. What is that in us that when it gets difficult, when we become afraid, when we think that maybe if we don't do that thing, whatever it is, that we're missing out on something, I think that's one of the biggest fears of college life, isn't it? We talk about this on staff as well, just to let you into our staff meetings. We talk about giving you an opportunity to take risks. And we also talk about the fact that y'all don't sign up for anything until the last minute. You know why? Because I think that we have figured out that you want to weigh all of your options before you commit, Right? because you just might miss out on something if you sign up early. Let me just speak a little bit like your father, as somebody that might be about his age. That doesn't work really well in life, by the way. <laughs> to never commit to anything, to wait to the last minute. It'll work for about four years, so enjoy it. But let me just speak a little bit of a word if you learn how to commit a little bit earlier, you'll be learning a life lesson that will be valuable. Okay, end of my speech. Um, I find it interesting that Saul does that very thing that he said that he would never do. And we all do this, don't we? We all do this. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation like Saul where we want to know, when we need to make a decision of some kind? Well, I put together a little list, a little list that might be helpful. One of the things that's clear in the story about Saul is that he had already heard through Samuel what was going to happen, right? Samuel told him, I told you, that the kingdom was going to be taken out of your hands. Saul didn't really like that answer. And the way that that hits home for us is that a lot of times we have already heard from God what to do, but we don't like the answer, so we keep on asking other people, or we, that's when we start to go back to other things. We don't like his answer sometimes. If it's something like, don't date him, don't date her, don't major in that, 
don't go there, don't do that. We don't like that answer very much, so we have a tendency to ask other people, other things, or we try it out to see if we get struck by lightning or something. So ask God. If you're faced with a decision, ask God, God, did you already tell me? Do I know in my heart what I'm supposed to do? And I just have to obey. Once you've done that, I think, ask others. Ask others. The beauty of a community like this, of people that you live with, if you're in a small group, you're in a core group or something like that, ask people who will be honest with you. What do you think I should do? What is the right thing to do? What brings honor to that person? What brings honor to God in this? Ask others. And if you're being asked, for goodness sakes, be honest with them. Don't turn around and go, well, I just think you should do whatever you feel. Be honest. We need people to speak truth into our lives. So be honest. I think one of the things that we don't often do when we ask is that we don't expect an answer. I think when we ask, we ask God, when we ask others, expect an answer. Look diligently. Listen well to the ways that he might be speaking. And let me say something about that for a moment. I have a feeling that I keep on um, giving you little speeches, but I think it's got to be really hard for you all to listen in this world. I mean, to really listen. Besides the times here when I pause in speaking or there's a break between music, how many times are you silent during the day? How many times would it even be possible for you to ask God a question either out loud or in your heart and for you to wait for an answer? And I wonder how much Saul did that. If he was like, okay, give me a dream. Didn't get one last night. I'm going to ask a prophet. Hey, prophet. They didn't have phones back then. But um, prophet, give me an answer. No answer. Moving to the witch. I wonder if we could be patient and wait. Because here's the hard thing about God. He's not on your timetable. And sometimes there's something that he wants to do in you while you're waiting for that answer. Can you imagine for a moment what life would be like if every time that you asked God for something, you immediately got it? Would you even want that life? Because how many of us have asked for some really stupid things over the years? I guess I'm the only one. I'm the only one raising my Thank you. I have one witness. Um, but ask and expect. Learn to listen. The other thing I think we all need to admit is that we really can't trust what we want sometimes. I think one of the hard parts is when we're trying to make a decision and we start to ask people, we start to ask God, and then we go, yeah, but I really want this. And I think that one of the things that we've all begun to do is that we've interpreted God's will as what we really want. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm not saying that the things you want that God is against. 
But I'm asking you to think carefully, to pray carefully, to ask carefully, and ask yourself if absolutely everything that you think that you want is God's will for you, is is what God wants. I know in my life, there's been a lot of times that I thought I've really, really wanted something. Really wanted something. The girl that I dated when I was 16, oh my goodness, she was the one. She was not. And I'm glad about that. And I'm sure she is too. That's just one example. But think for a moment. If God was the God of your each and every want, who really is God then? Just to sum up tonight, Saul went to a witch. He went to a witch who could call up dead things to give him guidance. My warning for all of us is that God doesn't want us to go back to dead things to try to find life. He doesn't want us to go back to dead things to find guidance for our lives. The only thing that God wants to raise from the dead is you and me. The only thing that God wants to raise from the dead is you and me. Because it's in him that we have life. Let's pray together. Father, first, thank you that in you we have life. We have it abundantly and flowing over. But you know how hard it is. We know, you know how hard it is for us to be patient, to submit ourselves to the life that you offer when everything around us seems shinier and more fun. Lord, help us to have courage to wait for you, to not go back to the things that have brought us death in our life, not to go back to the things that have brought us pain because we feel like we have no other choice. Help us to lay a hold of this resurrection, this new life that you've given us. Help us to not go back anymore. And until you come again, until we finally see you face to face, can we learn to listen through your word, through times of prayer, through the people that you have put around us, we learn to listen to your still, small voice within us and show us the way to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.